The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. With us from MTSU, we have Dr. Naportia Cohn, the new dean of the MTSU College of Education. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. So you come to MTSU from the Georgia area. I do. So what university were you at before MTSU? I was at Kennesaw State University in Kennesaw, Georgia. And what brought you to Murfreesboro? Well, there were a few things that attracted me to the area. Number one, looking at the university and they are one of the top education um, preparation providers in the state of Tennessee. Um, Another thing that attracted me was just the commitment, the commitment to first-generation students and the commitment to producing a workforce dedicated to improving the lives of those in Tennessee and the surrounding area. Um, Lastly, it was just the college's commitment to inclusion. Um, We have a wonderful center that is dedicated to fairness, equity, and justice um, that I am really committed to as well. And what are maybe some of the changes you're looking at doing while at MTSU? Well, that's something that we're currently talking through um, as a leadership team. For example, one of the things that we just did was a SWOT analysis. And based upon the information that we've garnered from the SWOT analysis, that is going to dictate what future changes uh, we make. Um, But one of the things that I can guarantee that we are committed to doing is being a leader of the future and creative, innovative, and transformative programs for for our stakeholders as well. So at this moment, I am just looking for input from our stakeholders, our community organizations, faculty, staff, and students that is going to really provide the future direction of the college. Now, what's interesting about your background is that you actually started out as a middle school teacher. I did. What, What was that like compared to the college level? Uh, Well, being a middle school teacher was one of the greatest experiences of my life. For example, I was a middle school teacher in Miami, Florida, which is one of the largest districts in the country. And that really taught me the power of um, just basically being present for my students, the importance of empowering families and communities. And that's one of the things that I'm taking with me to the um, college level. So when I think about the differences, um, I don't know if I can say that there are Um, many differences based upon my commitment to just providing an equitable environment to all. But what I see is consistently um, the same across is really everybody's commitment, everybody's commitment to our students. Um, And really one of the things that I think connects um, all of them together is really looking at when I think about creating leaders for the future and creating difference makers. Um, That is one of the things that I was able to do in the middle school setting. Um, And that's one of the things that we focus on at the college setting. So um, I don't really see a lot of differences. Um, I really see more similarities in how I can build upon those experiences and bring them to MTSU. Now, Dr. Cohn, working in the College of Education, you're going to be obviously working with a lot of students students who are one day going to become teachers. Yes. So I'm sure that background in in actually teaching younger students will come in very handy. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And, And what, I guess, 
a lot of the students who are coming to MTSU, what grades will a lot of those go into when they do become teachers? Well, I think that the majority of them will go into the elementary early childhood setting, but we are committed to also graduating middle school teachers um, and high school teachers. But when I look at the numbers, I would say probably the numbers um, really fall out to the majority of them heading towards the elementary setting. Now, I, I know nationwide there is a, a massive teacher shortage, yes. and we also have one here in Rutherford County. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, are, are you working with the Rutherford County schools and the Murfreesboro City schools? We are. We are working with um, or trying to work with as many school systems as we possibly can when we think about Middle Tennessee. So I've been fortunate enough. Um, one of the things that I'm doing right now is going on a listening tour. And based upon that listening tour, I've been able to meet with many of the school directors including those from Rutherford County and Murfreesboro. And at the table, we're talking about ways to increase the teacher pipeline, to increase the retention of our teachers once they get into um, their professional careers as well. So, yes, I am in partnership with those counties and some other counties I've had the opportunity to meet with and to really talk about what are their needs, what are some of the things that we can do at the College of Education to really engage in a mutual beneficially, uh, a mutually beneficial partnership with our school districts. Now, some of the school districts across the nation are trying new things in order to, I guess, lure in more teachers, mm-hmm. uh, even offering housing at a discount is that something that you will be a part of as as far as discussions with different county school systems in the future well i hope so Um, one of the things that we are in communication with and a new initiative that we do have is the tennessee teach back initiative and that initiative allows us to partner with districts in order to get our students to go back Um, and give to that district. For example, if that district partners um, with us to provide resources for a student for four years um, of their education, that student will go back to that district for at least four years um, and partner with that district as a teacher. Um, So that's one of the initiatives that we are currently engaged in. And I think that that is going to be a phenomenal thing um, that we can do. Um, It's a little similar to the Grow Your Own, but also a little different. Um, So that is, once again, something exciting that I've been in communication with Murfreesboro City about, Rutherford County, um, Nashville as well, Bedford County. So really reaching out across Middle Tennessee to talk about how we can partner together in order to really um, recruit students into the teaching profession. And that's one of the initiatives that we're currently engaged in. So under that initiative, would the school system actually pay for the students' college? Um, Well, they're contributing to the students' college um, education. One of the great things about MTSU is that we have so many scholarships that are available for students. So what we are asking for is if there is a scholarship that is available that does not cover the entire tuition, then yes, that school district will contribute to resourcing that student for the remainder of their educational experience. Uh, again with us this morning, Dr. Nimporsha Cohn, and uh, the new you are the new dean of the MTSU College of Education. I, I'm curious, what types of changes have you seen within the school system in general over the years? Um, 
Well, that's a, a great question. I can say that one of the changes that um, has been, I think, most prevalent has been the increase in testing and the high stakes accountability that is involved in testing. That's one of the major changes that I'm beginning to notice and is really beginning to surface, um, whether um, it's um, the outcomes are positive or the outcomes are not as positive. Um, that's a movement that has become more prevalent um, that I'm seeing. It, it seems like while there's a, a lot of students who do great at testing, there's an equal number, if not more students who may be extremely smart. They do great on day-to-day scores, but when it comes to testing, they don't do as well. Yes, Um, that is absolutely true. And what that brings to the surface is um, probably the need to revisit the high stakes testing, right? And to really think about alternative forms of testing or alternative forms of assessment. Um, Sometimes students have test anxiety. I know that I was one of those students that when it came to tests, I had studied for weeks and weeks. But when when I got there and actually was in the middle of taking the test, that anxiety started to build up. It didn't mean that I didn't have the knowledge, but perhaps there was a different way for me to showcase my knowledge. And I think that that's something to really consider is those authentic and alternative ways of assessing student knowledge. I think that one of the things that the testing results are showing, um, especially those that are negative, is to rethink the testing that we have in place. And with that whole high stakes testing, it can also kind of correlate with the teacher and then grading the teacher's performance, yes. which at times it doesn't seem quite fair. Yes. And I've talked to many teachers um, and administrators who feel the same way. Right. Um, it comes to an issue of equity and whether or not that one size fits all system is appropriate for all contexts. And I think that one of the things that we have to consider is that it's not appropriate for all contexts. There are various factors that students come into the classroom with, many negotiations that our teachers and administrations have to navigate through. Um, And sometimes those factors and those negotiations um, are out of our control. It's only so much that we can do um, in the classroom. And although we know that one of the most powerful influences within the classroom is the classroom teacher, we cannot negate the experiences that our students come to the classroom with. So one of the things that we talk to our students about is really meeting students where they are, using their assets, their funds of knowledge in order to build those experiences as well. But sometimes that takes time. Um, And when a testing occurs so often, um, it does not give the teachers enough time in order order to really engage in um, authentic teaching and assessment um, that might show up with them making those positive gains in testing. But also once again, it's really rethinking um, having various forms of testing um, for our students. How do you go about meeting a student where they are and then trying to figure out how to get them from point A to point B to where right. they're graduating at a you know at a much higher grade point average right. than they could? So I think that um, that goes to really engaging in those pre-assessments um, and those are pre-assessments or formative assessments. Sometimes they're called different things and really using that data in order to inform your teaching, right? And, and I use the term inform, um, which is very important because we do believe in data-driven instruction, but also 
also understanding the context of that data. That's something that we have to consider as well. So that is one way to meet students where they are. Um, the other way to meet students where they are is really to understand the assets that they're bringing into our classroom. What are the personal assets? What are the community assets? What are the cultural assets that our students bring that we can build upon, that we can use in order to really inform our instructional practices? So those are a few ways that we can engage um, and meet students where they are. And it also involves us going out into the community, um, really talking to those community organizations, um, the families, um, and even the staples that are in the community. For example, something as simple as the barber shop. They can help us to engage our students and to meet students where they are. Um, churches, they can help us to engage students and meet students where they are. So there are so many different things that we can do um, that will allow us to really make those improvements that we want to see. Now, obviously, some of those who you teach at MTSU, some of those students you work with at MTSU will one day become school administrators in some of our schools, maybe even yes. local schools. Yes. But they'll have the decision. And this is something that I've heard there is kind of some, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe anger towards it. At the same time, there's some confusion over it but right. you hear about kids who are promoted to that next grade and they're too young to normally be in that grade but yeah. they're moved ahead in school because they're that smart uh, but a lot of people look down upon that saying mm -hmm. well they need that full school experience mm -hmm. so what about in situations like that is that something that uh, you'll be working with school districts on and deciding is this something that should be done in the future um right we are happy to partner with um districts on that um one of the things that i do ask everyone is to really engage and be my thought partner as we think about certain decisions um one once again, there is no one size fits all model for all students. So that might work for some students, right? It might not be a detriment, but there are other students that we might need to talk about their context a little bit more. And if it is that we're going to offer that opportunity, what scaffolds can we put into place in order to support them? Um, and that's one of the things that's very important for us to consider is that when it is that we are um, moving um, in which um, some people might be um, considering an expedited way, um, what ways can we support those students in still moving along that path? And there are ways to do that. So once again, there is no one size fits all where it says that we have to do either A or B. Um, but how do we kind of meet in the middle? And again, with us this morning, Dr. Naportia Cohn, the new dean of the MTSU College of Education. And as we close this morning, if any teachers out there listening, future students, or maybe somebody in admin at one of the schools yeah. would like to talk with you and maybe bounce ideas off of you, then what do they need to do? Well, they can reach me at naportia.cohn at mtsu.edu. I am always willing to engage in conversations. Um, and one of the things that I do want to tell administrators, um, teachers, counselors, librarians, um, is that you are appreciated. Um, we appreciate the work um, and your commitment um, to education. And I know that sometimes um, education can require a lot of navigating, but more times than not, there is such a huge benefit um, to educating our students, to educating um, this society. And I never want us to forget about that. I think that the narrative sometimes can sway people away um, from education, but please don't become discouraged. We have some difference makers out there that are making a huge impact um, 
on our communities. Um, and if you're interested in being a difference maker, um, please reach out to me. Please reach out to the College of Education so we can talk more um, about how you do that because we really do need you and value you. Sounds good. Again, Dr. Naportia Cohn with MTSU, the new dean of the MTSU College of Education. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. At time right now, 832. You're listening to WGNS. More news from MTSU comes your way in just a minute. Hi, this is Dan at Music World and Drummer's Den. You've bought your new guitar, your keyboard, or your drums. You don't know how to play it. Well, we have lessons on all stringed instruments, all keyboards, and one of the best drum instructors in the area. We are set up for all types of lessons. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street. If you need music gear, Music World and Drummer's Den is where you need to be. South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Del Wamsley and the Wealth Cycle. This is the Wealth Cycle that I've taught for 30 years. Buy one house, 10 houses, an apartment, two apartments, 820, 500 units, 1,000 units, 2,000, 5,000 units. And as you keep putting the money and the profits back in, you become one of those rich people and much quicker than you'd even believe. Learn Dell's Wealth Cycle at GiveMeTotalFreedom.com. Use promo code 2023. Save 60%. Code 2023. GiveMeTotalFreedom.com GiveMeTotalFreedom.com TV too loud? We can help with that. I'm Dr. Sean Lancaster with Hearing Aid and Audiology Services. If you've been struggling with your hearing, I encourage you to give me a call, Dr. Sean Lancaster, and take a free hearing aid test drive and see for yourself how much hearing aids can truly help. You know, there's a lot of people out there talking about testosterone. You hear about treatment centers everywhere. But do your homework and go to a provider that you can trust, one that's been doing it for years. I recommend Low T Center on Medical Center Parkway in Murfreesboro. That's where I get my levels checked. At Low T Center, they make it quick and easy. Walk in, take a simple blood test, and then with their on-site lab, you get the results in 25 minutes. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, weight gain, or loss of muscle mass, these could all be signs of low testosterone levels. Low T Center's not not like a typical doctor's office where you have to wait a long time to see the doctor. Low T Center is concierge medicine exclusively for men. They have affordable and convenient options, including physician-monitored self-inject treatments that ship directly to your home each month. No need to drive to the center for weekly visits. Right now at Low T Center, it's only 25 bucks to get your testosterone level tested. So what are you waiting for? Go to LowTCenter.com to book your appointment online. That's LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And now joining us in studio, Makai Mosby, the new president of the MTSU Student Government Association. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So how do you land a, a gig like that? <laughs> So uh, it's pretty much just the same as the USA elections. We run for specific office through campaigning, and luckily I was the only one running in the position. So that's good. Um, it was definitely something that I wanted to do and had a desire to do. So even with no opponents, I made sure um, that campaigning was hard and uh, students saw an effort from me. Um, and so here I am uh, about six months into the gig. So what year are you at MTSU as a I'm student? A junior at MTSU. A junior, okay. And and what is your uh, line of study? What are you looking to do? So I am journalism with concentration in public relations um, with a minor in political science. So public relations, it, it seems like there are more and more jobs in that field really than ever before. Absolutely. So what? where would you like to actually land a future job, uh, y you know, if, if you could pick anywhere? 
uh, I would like to stay here in the Nashville area. Now, this is my first time publicly saying that. So uh, it's a here, never before, never before here thing. Um, breaking breaking news right there. Breaking news. <laughs> I uh, am really considering staying here in the Nashville, greater uh, Murfreesboro area um, because I see an increase in the need for more PR um, positions and PR work here in the city. So um, definitely somewhere in the political realm is somewhere I would like to end up. Uh, but fingers crossed. So in the political realm, uh, that could be, I guess, anywhere from working for a congressman to working for the governor's office. Who knows? Absolutely. Okay. And if going that route, are you good with, uh, you know, talking before big organizations, big groups? I would like to think that I am. <laughs> uh, I think it takes lots of practice, I guess. Absolutely. Lots <laughs> of practice. Um, and I really enjoy just being able to speak for people and be a voice for people. So I think that is um, that's a that's a factor that's playing a part. So starting out your freshman year of college, did you do that at MTSU? And were you at MTSU the whole time up until your junior year? Absolutely. I started right here at MTSU and I um, um, started as the freshman council president. So um, I had uh, enough time to get my feet wet when it comes to student government work, when it comes to advocating for students. Um, I'm really more proud of the work that we've been able to do up to this point. I'm in SGA, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we have down the line. And what area are you from? I'm from Memphis. I'm West Tennessee. So Memphis to Murfreesboro, uh, and you want to stay, though, in the Middle Tennessee area, I suppose. I, I, I think that's what I want to do. Okay. So what was high school like, and, and were you over the student government body there? So I was the school school president, student body president in high school as well. Um, I really enjoyed, um, and that's, where, that's what birthed my love for student leadership and student advocating um, because in high school we saw a need for different things for students and um, who else to speak up why not now why not you know me because um, if nobody else was going to do it who's going to do it right the work has to fall on someone that's right so I'm often the one that picks up that slack and um, I love it I'm not complaining I love it Again with us today, Micaiah Mosby. Now, what school did you go to in Memphis? So I went to Southwind High School. I'm a Southwind Jaguar through and through. <laughs> and what made you decide on coming to MTSU in Murfreesboro? So if I can be completely transparent, I was not coming to MTSU. I had my heart set on another school in another state. Um, but when it came to doing a campus tour, I was sold. Uh, when it comes to the campus environment, the inclusivity of um, the tour and, and, and the people that were on campus, it really um, changed my mind. Not to mention the in-state tuition, <laughs> not to mention the in-state resources. Um, I really did I really did have a change of heart, and that's why I ended up here at MTSU. So when president of the MTSU Student Government Association, what role do you play in meeting with new and uh, future students? So uh, it's, it's funny you said that because a couple of months ago, I was able to return to my high school and welcome the newest class of MTSU Blue Raiders, where a large portion of their class were coming to MTSU. And so I was able to go back to their signing day, where all of the students come and they announce what school that they're going to and give them a first class welcome to campus right there in Memphis. And so it's little things like that that I look forward to doing, um, but also being able to be a part of True Blue Tours. When we're going to different cities, just being able to give a student perspective to potential students of why it's important, why it's a great move to come to MTSU. And I, I'm sure you talked to a few students or prospective Absolutely. students who uh, are thinking about University of Memphis, but you're, you're yeah. from Memphis, so you tell I, them what? I tell them that it's uh, something even greater, about three, up, three hours up the road, <laughs> um, right here in Murfreesboro. 
and then not only to mention uh, MTSU, but the environment, the safety of Murfreesboro, um, being close to Nashville, all of those good things that people want to hear when they're looking for a four-year institution. And especially parents. They want to hear the safety parents, aspect. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think there's something to be said about going to school, going to college at, at a university that's not in your hometown. There's something to be right. learned about you know, moving away, moving out of the house and moving to another town, even if it's for four years. Absolutely. I preach all the time that it's a blessing to step out of your comfort zone, right? It's something that you've never experienced before. Um, it's an opportunity waiting on you, but it's waiting on you to make the first move to step out of your comfortability. You know, and, and I'm curious if you would agree with this. Sometimes it's easier for a new incoming student to be out of that comfort zone because they're with all new faces. And uh, you know, I guess there's something about when you fail in front of people you know, you feel more embarrassed. But when you're in front of folks you don't know, sometimes you can succeed in ways that you couldn't in front of those you know. Absolutely. And I, I've adapted the fact and just realized that every student is different, right? Every student comes to college with a different expectation. Although we assume it's a four-year degree, but some people are coming just to get out of the uh, the comfortability of their home. Some people are coming to campus because they need that extra um, outlet. They need that breakaway from family and friends. And so what I've understood or grown to understand is that students are different so each student needs a different approach each student has to be loved differently they have to be taught differently and so i've been working more so of getting to know the students that we have and how can we better serve them if we don't understand them right and so that's something that i'm trying to do better on even myself personally making sure that i don't assume anything when i'm communicating with students that i take it back to ground one and i uh, walk with them to get to know them so we can get um, things understood mutually and then as this new role of yours being the president of, of the Student Government Association, uh, how closely do you work with MTSU administration and maybe making changes or bringing new things to the campus? All the time. So um, SGA is governed by um, legislation. So any change that we want to make, we have to write legislation. But we also encourage our senators and freshman counselors, hey, if you're writing legislation, go meet with the department, go meet with the advisor, go meet with the administrator that their area impacts so that we're on a both a mutually understanding ground uh, but not only to mention that but I also serve on the president's executive cabinet on his cabinet so we're meeting on a weekly basis to be updated on things that's going on with the student body but I'm also able to take in some of the knowledge of what's going on with the university and share that with the leaders of my organization so it's a transactional relationship on both ends. Now while I know you said that there wasn't anybody running against you you still I'm sure went out there shook hands got to know people Absolutely. We were having events. We were having campaign meet and greets. Um, I uh, skies on right up the street. Uh, we did a meet and greet there. And um, it's different things that students see that they make you approachable. They make you human. They make you um, just just real. And that's what students need. They need somebody they can connect to. They need somebody that they can reach. Um, and so that's what I want to be. If I'm your student body and your student leader, you have to be you have to be able to talk to me. And so that means getting out, getting involved so they see who you are. Now, do you foresee actually running for a real political office once you're, you know, after you graduate? I'm open to that. Not at the moment, but I, I, I'm open to that. It would be, uh, I don't know, if you ask me, it'd be a little tough. Something about it, I I don't know, being in a political office would be rough. Absolutely. I, I completely understand. Probably, it's not like that, of course, on the MTSU campus. At least I wouldn't imagine it's like that. It's, it's not like that at all. The students are all um, nice. 
<laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, but I understand, and that's what my concern is, or hesitation, whether a better choice of words, hesitation would be when it comes to making the decision of if you want to run for political office or not, because MTSU, I'm just confined to the 20 plus thousand students that we have, serving them, serving their needs. We're talking about a large group of people. Um, everybody has different intentions, different motives. Safety, security is a thing to come into mind. So, all that is playing a factor into this decision. And of course, you know, with 20,000 plus students, it's like a, a small town for sure. Small town for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. that. When, when you look at that number, 20,000 plus students, it, it does sound a little scary. It does. <laughs> it's frightening, actually. Yeah, I, I bet. Now, do, have you had to give any speeches before uh, a huge number of those students at this point? or Absolutely. I was able to give the um, a welcoming address to the incoming freshman class at the convocation this year. Um, and those were a lot of students and a lot of parents and families who are nervous of dropping their loves one off. They're, they're scared, they don't know what to expect. So who better to give them a welcoming address to um, give them some inspirational words than their student leader? And I take different opportunities like that really to heart. And I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but are you uh, this year and looking back, are you the youngest president of the student body? As far as we've been able to um, tell, yes. I'm wow. the youngest in the position. That, that's pretty wild. Now, past presidents, were they usually seniors? So usually they were seniors. Um, and then we've even had a grad student before, to my knowledge, um, to run and, and, and serve as student body president. Um, so it's, it's always ranged between senior grad year where students are able to get this position. Now, after getting your undergrad degree, are you looking at continuing at MTSU to get a master's or anything? Absolutely. I want to continue my education right here at MTSU because um, why, why leave? Yeah. There's no reason to leave. Do you foresee yourself being in the workforce by the time you go to get that master's? I believe so. Okay. I, I want to be uh, on my way to my dream career. But I have to identify what a dream career looks like for me first to know what I'm working towards. But absolutely, I want to be in the workforce. Again with us this morning, Micaiah Mosby, the new president of the MTSU Student Government Association. And as we close this morning, I guess what what is next for you as you know the president of the Student Government Association? Right now, I'm trying to get this president's roundtable off the ground where we're inviting student organizations. We have over 80 who have already said we want to be a part of discussions together. Um, and that's an initiative for us to be able to collaborate on some events and some initiatives and some change that we want to see on campus. So that's what's big and next for me. But immediately, I'm going to enjoy this fall break of mine. That, that sounds like <laughs> a good idea. Uh, again, Micaiah Mosby with MTSU. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back. I like water aerobics. Margaret Ordabadian chose Adam's Place. It's been a great boon for my health to have water aerobics. The pool is soft water pool and the instructors are all geriatric trained and then they have uh, stretch and balance to help you keep from falling i'm terry deal call me for more information about adams place 1927 memorial boulevard call adams place today at 615-904-9111 if you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs capstar bank is for you Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. 
hear News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. We now have in studio guest again from MTSU. We have Shannon Randall, MTSU Assistant Professor of Photography and Curator of the Baldwin Photographic Gallery at MTSU, and Bill Stieber, photojournalist and MTSU photography program alumnus. How are you this morning? Great. Bill, let's start off with you and talk a little bit about what you do. Well, the thing that I'm most known for is uh, is a long-term documentary of the uh, Mississippi blues scene, uh, primarily the Delta, but also the whole state and the blues diaspora down there. I've been going down there since the early 90s, kind of documenting the, the musicians, the juke joints, uh, churches, baptisms, the, the entirety of uh, what I can of the culture that basically created the, the blues, which has the greatest influence on the rest of our culture and music. It's just a kind of a ground zero for, um, you know, our music culture now being in that delta area it's got to be interesting at times and i guess a little sad at times too well that's the thing um you know a lot of people focus on the poverty-stricken areas of the country you know appalachia the delta these places are heavily documented for many 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 years but what i find is that like the blues itself people think of the blues as a depressing music actually it's not it's actually uh it's celebratory it's social music it's dance music it is a wry look at um, irony and tragedy and things like that and, and a way to, to arrest joy from that, from from a visceral, um, actual experience and turn that around into something uh, useful and joyful. And that's actually been my entire approach. The thing is, is that, yeah, there's a lot of poverty down there. Uh, a lot of what I started to see in those days, uh, a lot of the houses are gone, a lot of the businesses, most of the people that I documented back in the 90s are all dead. But the ability of the human spirit to rise above that and find meaning and joy, that's that's what I look for, you know, and there's um, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it down there. And that's something you can really learn that what I found just as a photojournalist is that the, uh, the less people have, the more they give. Now, one of your pictures, it's a man, he's playing an instrument that in the background sitting next to him kind of is a, a coffin. Yeah. What What's the story behind that? And was it a real person in the coffin? That actually is the probably the linchpin, the most important photograph in the entire collection. It's also one of the only ones that's that shot on 35 millimeter before I switched over to the larger format. Um, that's um, Son Thomas, lives in Leland, Mississippi. It's literally the very first musician that I met when I was traveling down there, and it was on a recommendation. Um, he was a folk artist, and he, he, he it reflected his life. He was had mostly primarily been a grave digger um, for his actual career, although he did travel around uh, as a musician a little bit and, and made these wonderful uh, folk art sculptures, and he made them reflective of, of the reality of his life. Um, you know, he... <laughs> He used to make these uh, these human heads, and he would make these skulls, and he would get actual human teeth from the uh, local dentist. Would save them when he'd pull teeth, and he'd show up with a jar of them. He'd put them in the in the in the little skull. <laughs> so when I walked in on that on his house the very first day, I, that's the first thing I saw was this woman laid out in a casket, and it was actually a commission piece for a New York art collector that he had made. And uh, and that day literally transformed my life. I mean, there's I marked my life before and after that day. So when you walked in and saw that, it, did you? 
think at first, what, what's going on here? Well, I knew it wasn't real, you know, I mean, but what I thought was, um, my gosh, what a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, walking into this little shotgun shack in Leland, Mississippi, just, you know, a few steps off the famed Highway 61, and here's the great son Thomas sitting on his bed and, and um, you know, smoking a cigarette, and he's got this strange art around. And it just was like electricity shooting through me. What I felt was is that this is a level of authenticity that you rarely experience in life and i just needed to get as near to that as possible and that started the i just came back late last night on my i think 210th or 211th trip across the mississippi state line since that day so yeah it it changed things for me now in mississippi there's a a really there's a great divide between white and black it seems like and it still exists today Mm -hmm. but when it comes to music do you see that in mississippi or is there a uniting there that's that's unlike anything else well that's always been the case uh the thing about the the racial divide um music wise has mostly been through uh marketing back in the earliest recorded days uh in the 1920s the first time that poor people music got finally got produced and there's a long reason for that but they they divided it up into what they call race records and hillbilly records and you had to kind of be one or the other well the musicians themselves didn't always make that distinction in fact a lot of the repertoire was shared uh, back in the day, it all comes out of the vaudeville uh, minstrel show, um, you know, a lot of the 19th century music, and they played similar repertoire. But it, but for um, because you know we're talking the Jim Crow South, everything has to be segregated. But um, but back in the day, um, there was actually a little more musical and sometimes actual um, intermingling of the of the musics uh, than you would think just by the way that it was marketed. And there's still slave homes there that people are still living in, and some of those lack electricity, some of those lack plumbing, but they're still there, still standing and used. Not so much in the Delta. Um, the the interesting thing about the Delta is that other than in, uh, some areas right along the river. Um, most of the Delta wasn't created until after the Civil War. In fact, it was it was kind of wrested from uh, these swamps starting in the you know 1860s, 70s, and it was a product of um, you know the post-war economy where they replaced actual chattel slavery with sharecropping, which was still uh, an oppressive economic system. But the reason so many people went to the Delta is because the land was so fertile that even under the system where you give the landowner 50% off the top and the expenses come out of your side, you at least you still had the chance to make some money uh, because it was so, um, like I said, some of the topsoil there is over 20 feet deep. Um, and I was just down there watching uh, the, the cotton harvest being brought in. It's, of course, it's all mechanized now. But um, it's, it's, it's still a way of life that is less changed uh, for good and bad than much of the rest of the country. And so it, it is a way to go back and and kind of you get to step back in time a little bit. Uh, again, Bill Steber with us this morning, photojournalist. Now, the photos that are on display at the Baldwin Gallery, all Mississippi, and, and what do they date back to? You said this was a, what, a 20-year project? 30. 30 30 years yeah 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 the very first one is the one you mentioned the son son thomas uh with the casket um but this this 
this is a kind of a, a unique opportunity that uh, Shannon Randall here, who's a longtime friend and curator of the, of the gallery, uh, we collaborated on this to make it um, – expand it not from just still photography but one of the other things i've done is collect a lot of artifacts over the years when i've gone back to places that um maybe don't exist anymore a home of a of an artist i used to visit that may be falling in uh just i just kind of had a um I don't know. Maybe it's because I believe in this animism, this idea of um, of, of the spirit being contained in an inanimate object, and I would just kind of reflexively bring these things home. Well, I've since gone and put some of these things into uh, in these like reliquaries and sculptures and almost like holy objects to the places and the people that are no longer past so one of the things we have is an entire front of a of an old sharecropper shack that we. Um, I took the front of it off of this place at Stovall Plantation in August, and and we reassembled it for the gallery. So when you go there, there's a real visceral sense of uh, the land and, and a lives lived through the materials themselves that's intermingled in with the actual documentary photographs and other artifacts. Have you seen a lot of change there in the Delta over those years? Because 30 years is a pretty long period of time. Yeah, I've seen a generational change. Um, and it's, what's really interesting is that every 10 years, the New York Times and other articles, uh, other publications, they write the obit for the death of the blues. And they've been doing this for 60, 70 years. Uh, but it, you know, it's hard to kill it off. I mean, this is a primal, you know, visceral culture. So you've got guys like uh, Chris Stone Ingram, who goes by the name of Kingfish, who's setting the world on fire. In fact, I just saw last night the Rolling Stone 250 greatest guitarists of all time. And, and, and this kid from Clarksdale, Mississippi made the, I think he's in the top 100. Now, Clarksdale, is that where Morgan Freeman is from as well? Well, that's where he's associated. He's actually from Charleston, Mississippi, which is on the edge of the hill country. But yes, he uh, he has a, a place down there called Ground Zero, fittingly enough, um, club down there. And he's other other investments down there with the uh, former mayor, Bill Luckett, who just passed on this past year. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, and he's a big advocate for uh, for Mississippi, you know. And again, the display at the Baldwin Gallery on the MTSU campus, it is open. Shannon, how long is this going to be going on? Uh, The exhibition runs through December 9th. So folks can come out there. And is there a cost to come and see that? No. Everything we do is free and open to the public. Uh, In fact, all the associated events, we, uh, at the beginning of October, uh, we brought uh, Alvin Youngblood Hart, uh, who's a blues musician, and Scott Beretta, who is a leading blues historian. Uh, They did an event. And on November 15th at 6, Bill will be giving his artist talk, and again, free and open to the public. And all that information is available on our website. And what hours can people come there, like during the weekday? Uh, open Monday through Friday, uh, 8.30 to 4.30. Um, and if they need a special appointment, they just need to reach out to me. My email is on the website, and I'll be happy to schedule a, a private showing. So just Google Baldwin Gallery, and I'm sure it'll pull it right up. Baldwin Photographic Gallery. If you do Baldwin Gallery, you'll wind up with a gallery in Colorado. So that's oh. a little bit more of a drive. <laughs> quite, quite the drive. Again, with us this morning, Shannon Randall, MTSU Assistant Professor of Photography and curator of the Baldwin Photographic Gallery at MTSU. And then Bill Steber, photojournalist, with us this morning as well. And uh, both, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. You're tuned to WGNS, and news comes your way next. And Ron Jordan will have the latest on what's happening around the area here in Rutherford County and slightly beyond. So stay with us.